0: Jesus we acknowledge that your love appears to be reckless from where we stand but it is not it is solid and it is good and it is real and it is here and so we ask Lord that um, as we do not have the ability to intellectually grasp your love this love that surpasses knowledge I pray that you would help us to get a little bit of a tighter grip today help us to experience it in some way as well this time is yours Lord Jesus use it for your glory and for our benefit in your name. So, how is it possible for the finite to grasp the infinite? Really, right? When, the Apostle Paul, when he prayed that they would have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for them, he then adds this little phrase, "And that they would know this love that surpasses knowledge how can we know something that is unknowable well, we know god's love is real and so we can we can know it in that sense but we also know that the scope of god's love is so great that it's impossible for us to fully get our arms around it it's a mystery and we enter into that mystery in a beautiful way so when paul prays that they would come to know this love that surpasses knowledge i think he was praying not just for intellectual insight to know it that way but he was also praying that they would experience the power of his love as well. I'm not sure of the actual date. I think it was 1999 um, when I was invited to uh, lead a silent retreat for some ministry leaders in our area. And so we all gathered together at a Friday afternoon at a Catholic retreat center somewhere in rural Indiana, and we entered into what would become the rhythm of our weekend together, some brief time together for group discussion and some extended time alone uh, to pray and to reflect on what we were thinking on in the scriptures. I can tell you, I, I don't remember the theme. I wrote it. I don't remember a theme. <laughs> you know, I don't know what we were doing. I don't remember the sessions. I don't even remember where this place is but I do remember very clearly what happened on Saturday morning. We had uh, just entered into one of our our time of solitude and silence, and and I was alone, and I was musing on all the scripture passages and things that we had talked about and been pondering alone for a while. And I was walking along, and I, I, I came to the door to the chapel that was on the property. thought I'd go in. I remember the air was cool inside, and it was really still and very, very quiet. In the subdued lighting, I could look and I could see the 14 stations of the cross embedded in the walls around the perimeter of that room. The floor, I don't know what kind of floor it was, but it was really highly polished. It might have been black marble. I don't know. It was a beautiful floor. and It it led up to an altar area that was raised up high, and on that altar area there were some special furnishings that looked set apart and holy. And of course, over it all was a life-size crucifix. Jesus, on the cross, crown of thorns, head bowed. I thought I'd stay there for a little while, and I, 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 I walked and pondered the stations of the cross and made my way up to the front row and sat down. That moment, I was just enjoying Jesus' presence, you know? I didn't have any more words to share, and he was not speaking to me. We were just sharing time together. And then it happened. I don't know. The best way to describe it is that the spiritual veil that blocks our view suddenly became very thin, and Jesus's love overwhelmed me. It was an amazing experience as I sat there on that front thinking, I don't want to cry. (laughs) I don't want to kneel. That's everything in me. Wanted to weep and wanted to kneel. But I knew that if I did that, somebody might walk in and I'd be embarrassed, right? Especially someone from the retreat. Could you imagine that? The leader's up there on his knees crying. What's the deal with this? You know. So I I fought that for a little bit. But then then I said, no, I can't fight this anymore. And I, I went on my knees. And the moment that I went on my knees, all the concerns evaporated. And I began to weep with intense emotion my tears i recognized were flowing not from sadness or from regret or anything like that they were flowing from a sense of love that had just filled the room a sense of wonder and a sense of joy and gratitude that i was feeling i didn't have any words i just knew that jesus was there and in the midst of it, I don't know how long it was, but I was on my face, on my knees, on that cold floor, and I was weeping and weeping, and I felt this gentle touch on my left shoulder, and I heard a female voice gently say, Sir, are you okay? And I couldn't talk, but all I could... <sighs> There's a reason I've never shared this publicly before. <laughs> uh, all I could get out were the words, He is good. He is so, so You see, if all we try to do is grasp God's love for us in our mind, we are missing a really important part of the relationship he wants to have with us. While his love is too great for us to fully understand, it is not too great for us to experience. Now, the story I just shared uh, doesn't happen often. It's very rare, and it may not happen for everybody. Okay, You can go through your entire life and not have an experience like that, and that's okay. God's the one who determines when that type of thing happens, if it happens at all. Because on a, on a practical, fully functional basis, love is not something that we see and experience really intensely once or twice in a lifetime, you know. On a practical, functional, relational basis, love is something that we see and experience every day of our lives, in the mundane and even in the troubling moments we see and experience it. God is always is always expressing his love to us. He's acting it out. And if we're open to it, we can experience that love in all the different vagaries of life. I mean, it's, it's, he's there. He's with us. Listen to how Eugene Peterson translates verses 17 through 19 in the message. Um, and listen as I read this. Listen for the verbs, the actions that we're supposed to take, all right? Peterson writes, and I ask him, I ask God, that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love, reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb its depths, rise to the heights, live full lives, full in the fullness of God. The best way to experience the breadth of God's love is to run and realize that you can't get away from him. He's already at the place you're going to, waiting for you. The best way to experience the height of God's love is to engage him with your doubts and your questions and your concerns and watch what he does with them. The best way to know the depth of God's love, is to expect him to meet you in the mundane, diaper-changing moments and in the difficult, struggling moments, because he is there. And he will meet you in all of life where you are. We turn the clock back a little bit more. It was 1994. My family and I were traveling back from visiting Ann's parents in Orlando, Florida. Mid-morning, traffic on I-75 was light, and my entire family was napping in the car, and I was just enjoying the drive. And I remember driving along and just listening to all their breaths, you know, just the deep breathing of people who are really tired from Disney World and <laughs> 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 getting the sleep they desperately need. And I was, I was trying to identify each of my child's breathing. You know, Okay, there's Steven, there's Stacey, I can hear her, and there's my wife next to me, she's breathing. I, just, just, I was just enjoying that, just you know, enjoying the breath. You know? it's like, there was something really cool about that. And I, just started, I was 33 years old and I started thinking, how did I get here? This is amazing. And so I started to, to think back over all the key moments of my life and, and all the, the minor moments of my life, too. And I said, how did I, how, did, well, how did I get on this path? And as I was thinking about that, I began to see more clearly, almost like someone was turning the fine-tuning dial for focusing something. And, and I began to see more clearly how God had been part of every one of those moments, that he had been there, and he had been there, and he had been there. And then I slowly became aware of how God was with me in that car, not overwhelming, not just you know dropping me to the floor, but just this gentle, loving presence. And I began to recognize again as I'm going along, I'm thinking every good thing in my life, every blessing I've enjoyed, everything that I embrace now, it's a gift from him. And it just stunned me and I felt the tears coming up, just gentle tears in the back of my mind, my back of my eyes. and I began to pray quietly so as not to wake up my family. I began to pray. Lord, thank you. And I just started listing all these things he had done for me. And I started layering, 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 layering. And it it, it impacted me so much that I said something really foolish. But I share it with you because this is where I was. I said, Lord, if you never answer another one one of my prayers, that's okay by me. Because you've already filled enough for my entire life. I was 33. You know? (laughs) Foolish prayer. Foolish. But it's just where I was, you know? Because God was present. He was with me in that moment. And I was saying thank you. I think that, that knowing God's love is more of a journey we take than a concept we master. It's something we do interacting in life than it's something that we fully try to understand. And while it's easy to acknowledge His love if you have one of those overwhelming experiences in a Catholic chapel, and oh, you know, it's easy to recognize His love there, it takes a little faith and some discipline begin to recognize His love in the different parts of life, both the joyful and difficult ones, as you step back and think, wait a minute, was that a coincidence? Or is God touching me with His love right there? See, I think that uh, trying to grasp God's love for us is like learning to use a tow rope on a ski hill. Now, as a boy, some of you know, I spent... um, a good chunk of my uh, earliest years up in Canada, where I would always enjoy 50 weeks of winter and two weeks of bad sledding. (laughs) Always. It was just the way it was. you know. And so at four years of age, I had skates on, I had skis on. It was just because there was snow everywhere, and that's what you did. And I learned early on how to navigate the tow rope. And I could regale you for hours on the different ways to do it and not to do it. But the point I want to make is that the purpose or the goal of the tow rope is to grab it properly. Because if you can grab the tow rope properly, its power will take you where you need to go. If you don't grab it properly, its power will knock you off your skis. And you will not get to where you want to go, and you will likely stop several other people as well. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so if God is love, then learning to grasp the powerful love is vitally important for our spiritual growth. It's vitally important so that we, we can be able to get to the place he wants us to be. And I think the Apostle Paul knew the proper way to grasp God's love, and so he gives us some clues in the book of Ephesians as to how we can strengthen our grip and grasp God's love in a helpful way as well. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 is our scripture text, right? In 14, Paul says, for this reason I kneel. And as I've been memorizing this, I keep asking the question, Lord, what's the reason? You know, for what reason did he kneel? Interestingly, because Uh, The typical posture, prayer posture, for a Jewish man would be to stand with the arms out and palms up. But something made Paul kneel. It wasn't unheard of, but it wasn't that common. For this reason. What I want to do is go back a little bit. Uh, First of all, to chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, the part that comes just before our primary text, and see what the reason might be for the Apostle Paul to kneel. And while we get there, I have a favor to ask of you. From here on out, I'm going to ask you to put your pens and pencils and papers away, turn off your screens, and don't take any notes, okay? Uh, If you want notes, just contact me, connect at covenantepc.org or whatever, and I will send them to you. But for right now, you are about to experience several tsunami-like waves of information. And they are going to be coming across the shore of your life. And what I'd like you to do, as these waves come in, be aware of what jumps out at you. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow, he did that? Or, what was that? I mean, think about it, as as these waves are coming past you, just be aware of how you are interacting with the information that comes in, because we're going to use that at the close of the service today. All right. If this is indeed what made Paul drop to his knees, I think there's something here for us, too. So, chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul begins with some familiar words. He says, for this reason. I think that in chapter 3, verse 1, he was starting his prayer that we read in 14, but something happened along the way. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of the Gentiles, and it stops. We don't know why it stops there. Maybe he got an important text message, you know? Maybe somebody knocked on the door. I don't know why it stopped. But he stops himself at that point and goes off on a tangent. I think there's some good things we can find in this tangent. Let's look at the tangent before we consider what might have interrupted him. Here comes the first wave. In this tangent, Paul wanted to make sure his Gentile audience knew several things. He wanted to know that God had a gracious plan that he kept hidden, that God revealed his gracious plan to Paul, the apostles, and the prophets, and that God sent Paul to tell this plan to the Gentiles. Paul was amazed. He didn't feel he deserved that. He was given this privilege by God, and he was amazed by that. Then he goes on to tell the plan. This is God's plan, he says. It doesn't matter who you are. All who believe in Christ are united with Christ and each other and so share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Now, the news that Jews and Gentiles were part of the same group would have been a scandal to the Jews and would have been a surprise to the Gentiles. But hearing that The riches, the incredible riches that God had reserved for his people were now available to the Gentiles through Christ. That would have been tremendous news. It's part of God's plan that this was all coming together. But did you notice that it said that, that God had kept this plan hidden from the earliest times? Who was God hiding the plan from? Interesting thought. It brings us to the purpose in verse chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. Here's the purpose. God's purpose in all this, in hiding the plan and making the plan and bringing the two together as one, God's purpose in all of this was to use the church. The church didn't exist before Christ, before Pentecost. It was to use the church to display his wisdom, God's wisdom, in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out, In Christ Jesus, our Lord. I I think this is what's going on. I think this is in Paul's mind here, okay? Adam and Eve and all of their offspring, they were created by God. They belonged to God. They were God's possession. And they were to receive all of God's blessings. But the serpent came and stole them away from God. When they chose to follow the serpent instead of following their creator, they, they were stolen away from God and the serpent blocked them from receiving the blessings God had for them. So through Jesus Christ at this time, God is proclaiming to the unseen realm that he is collecting and calling back his people, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles too. It is a statement of him being aggressive and offensive, bringing the people back into his household. The unseen authorities in the heavenly places never saw it coming because God had kept the plan hidden from the beginning. Think about that. It's not just Paul. It's you. It's you. It's me. It's everybody who calls Christ Lord. We're part of a plan that is far bigger than just our eternal life, than just our confidence to walk boldly into God's presence. There's something going on here, out of God's love. It just should blow our minds away. Here's the summary of it. God revealed to Paul a plan that he had from the start that through Christ all people can share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. He did this to display his wisdom to the heavenly powers through the church, and Paul feels undeserving and privileged to be the one chosen to share this news with the Gentiles. The power of God's love knocked Paul off his skis. It should knock us off our skis, too. For this reason, he writes, I kneel. So that's the tangent. What was the interruption Well, he starts off for this reason. The interruption is found, I believe, in chapter 1, 3, verse 3 of chapter 1 all the way through uh, chapter 2. So here comes some more um, tsunami-like waves for us, but just, just allow it to wash past you and see what happens, okay? He starts off in chapter 1 verse 3, because we are united with Christ, powerful statement, because we are united with Christ, we are in union with Christ, therefore because Christ died, we die, because Christ rose, we will rise. What happened to Christ is going to to happen to us, and we receive his blessings. Because we are united with Christ, uh, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then Paul outlines these blessings. In Christ, God chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, God predestined us to be adopted, freely gave us his glorious grace, redeemed us through Christ's blood, forgave our sins, showered his kindness on us, and made known to us, here it is, the mystery of his will. This is a reference back to the plan that we talked about in chapter 3. This plan, this will that God had, was to be put in effect when the times had reached their fulfillment. What was this will? What was this plan? Paul gives a different perspective on it now in verse 10 of chapter 1. This is the plan. At the right time, God will bring everything in heaven and earth together under the authority of Christ. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth was given to him. He carries all authority, and as God incarnate... The God who is man, he ascended into heaven and he is enthroned in high in a throne that is far above all heaven and all earth. So he is the king of all kings. He he has more authority than any human ruler and he is the Lord of lords. He has more authority than any spiritual being and that was part of God's plan. In Christ, there there is an inheritance as well. We can find that where. Yeah. Because we are united with Christ, there is an inheritance as well. Now, this is fascinating, too, because it's a two way street. God gets an inheritance. It's us. He has us back as his people again. And we get an inheritance. It is his blessings, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So, because we are united with Christ, in Christ, we were chosen to bring praise and glory to God. We were included. There is an inheritance. And we were sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. A down payment, saying everything else that's going to come, you just need to wait. Here's the summary, because we are in Christ, God blessed us with every spiritual blessing, adopted us into his family, made known to us the mystery of his will, will one day bring all things under Christ's authority, and gave us the Spirit as a guarantee. (sighs) Wow! A ton of information, these waves, wave after wave of grace upon grace, of love crashing upon the shores of our lives. Do you see it? Do you feel it? Can you sense how Paul is excited about this? One of the the things that keeps jumping in and out of these waves, maybe it's a porpoise or something, I don't know, a dolphin, I don't know, but there's something playing in the wave right now, and and that something is that God chose us to praise him and to give him glory. That's why we're here. And we see that it's, it's, it's a theme that comes in and out of these waves all the time, and so what I'd like to do is just take a moment and practice that with you, okay? I'm going to offer a prayer that I took right out of chapter 1, verse 15 through 23. It's Paul's prayer for the people. And I'm going to adapt it for us and use that as our way to give him praise and glory, okay? Let's pray together and just listen to these words. He starts in verse 15 with the phrase, for this reason. You know, here we go again. Here's another prayer. So Let's pray together. Lord, for all the reasons Paul has given us, We join him in continually praising and thanking you for the blessing of being part of your new kingdom community. And so we adapt his prayer. We pray for your people. We pray for us and for all you have redeemed in Christ. Would you please give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we may indeed grow in our knowledge of and our experience with you? And would you please flood all of our hearts with light so that we can understand the confident hope you've given to those whom you've called. Lord, by your grace, you've made us your holy people. You have made us your possession and given us your rich and glorious blessing. Help us know the incomparable greatness of your power, Lord. It's the power that you exerted on our behalf. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and then the same power that seated him in the place of highest authority where he now rules far above all other powers and authorities that have ever or will ever be created. So praise be to you, our God and Savior, who has made us full and complete by making us one in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. For this reason, I kneel and you feel the wave, you see the love crashing in. Here comes another one. We're into chapter two now. And chapter two contrasts what once was with what now is. And it's the final reason that Paul uses for why he knelt. And to get us into this, I want to just remind us of a very simple illustration, the illustration of a corpse. A dead man is helpless. A dead man can't speak. A dead man can't connect with those he loves. A dead man can't move on his own. A dead man is not even aware of his surroundings. He's dead. that in the background. Let's listen to these contrasts. Paul says, you used to be dead in your sins, disobedient to God, obedient to the devil, and an object of God's wrath with no hope of escaping God's righteous judgment. That's what you used to be. And then we find the most powerful word in the New Testament. It's three letters long. But... But God, in his great love for us, we were made alive in Christ. We were raised with Christ. We were seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Do you notice the passive? We were made alive. Nothing that the corpse could affect in himself. Couldn't do it on his own. It's totally grace from God. And it's totally God's grace so that in verse 7, listen to this. This stuff just blows my mind. It's his grace so that in future generations God can point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us who are in Christ Jesus. By grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not as a result of any works that you have done so that no one, no one's able to boast about what they've done. For we are God's workmanship, right? We are his masterpiece created, I'm going to add, recreated in Christ Jesus to do the good works which he purposed in advance for us to do. Are you tired of factions, fighting, the hatred, and the injustices, the losses of this fallen world? Have you grown weary of the storms, hurricanes, the floods, the droughts, the death, fires, all the lives that are lost because of natural disasters. God is too. And He is working to recreate the whole thing, even now. And He's beginning with individual Human hearts, every heart that surrenders to him, to surrenders to his lordship, he's beginning there and he's expanding it out like yeast in a lump of dough until the whole lump is impacted. And what I mean by that is it begins with us and it extends out into the entire created order so that all creation will be included in this redemption. Romans chapter 8, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope, not a wishful thinking hope, but a certain confident it's going to happen, hope, in hope that the creation itself will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay and will be brought in to the glorious freedom of the children of God. All this is from God's love. And it's not just so we can have fire assurance and escape hell. It's not just so we can have eternal life. It's not just so we can walk confidently and boldly into God's presence. There's a whole bigger picture going on here, and it's flowing from God's love to us. There's no wonder that Paul is going off on tangents and losing his place with excitement. There's a lot here. One final wave is coming. Let's turn to the let's return to the contrast in chapter two, verses eleven through eighteen. Just allow this wave to wash past you. You used to be outsiders, live apart from Christ, be excluded, not know God's covenant promises, and live in the world without God and without hope. You used to be far away from God, but now God has united you with Christ Jesus, and you, may, and you have been brought near to him by the blood of Christ. And then the Apostle Paul takes off on another little tangent on what the blood of Christ has done for us. Through the cross, Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility, made peace between Jew and Gentile, united Jew and Gentile into one people, fulfilled the law by paying the price for us all, reconciled both groups to God, and gave us both equal access to the Father through the Holy Spirit. And what this means is that all who are in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, are citizens with God's people, members of God's family, they are God's house, they are God's temple where God dwells. Wow! And lastly, the summary. You used to be dead in your sins, but God united you with Christ. God made you alive in Christ. God seated you with Christ. God made you one with all who are in Christ. You are recreated in Christ. Do the good works that God planned in advance for you to do. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ has been made available to us through Christ. It's because of His grace, nothing that we've done. It's because of His grace that flows out of a love that is wider, longer, higher, and deeper than we can ever fully imagine. As you've been watching those waves come by, think about the things that stood out to you. Maybe it's a, a statement of praise, wow, thank you that I'm alive, I was once dead, but now I'm alive. Maybe it's a, an awareness of a mystery that goes bigger than we can know at this point, like what is the unseen realm, and who are these creatures, these beings that are have authority, and what are they doing, and what is Jesus, I mean, Maybe it's something that's a mystery that you're wondering about. Maybe it's just a statement of awe and wonder. I don't know what it is, but, but think about the things that popped out of those waves as you were watching them go by. What I'd like us to do to, today is to close our service, before we get to the songs, to close it with some prayer time, okay? I'm going to invite everybody here to pray just a single line with God. You might want to do it silently, or you might want to do it vocally. If you speak it out, just lift your head up and speak it out nice and loud so that everybody around you can be blessed by the words that you're sharing, okay? You say it silently, that's great too because the Lord hears your prayer. And then once we have that moment of silence, I'll, I'll, start, us, I'll start us with a, with a starting prayer uh, statement, a single line statement. And then I'll sit down and then I'll share, then you guys can share your single line statements as you feel so led or pray silently. And then the worship team's gonna come up and lead us through some songs. There's three songs. There's a chance that someone in this room may say, for this reason, I kneel. If you feel led to kneel, go ahead. It's hard to do it in the pews. I get that. You can do it in the pews. I've done it before. But it, but it's hard. Maybe you go out to the aisle. Maybe you go to the back where there's more space. Or maybe, yeah, you could come right up here where the stairs are. For this reason, I kneel. If you feel the Lord leading you to kneel or to respond in some way physically, go ahead and do it. Don't worry about being embarrassed. No one's going to judge you on anything here. This is about you recognizing what God is doing in your life and being overwhelmed by it. Okay, so prayer time where we, uh, those who wish to verbalize a one-line prayer of thanks or wonder, do that. Then we move to song and those who wish to respond as the Lord is leading them, please feel free to do that. All right, let's pray together. Lord, my heart is full to overflowing this morning. I can't begin to express this love that you've shown. So thank you for working out your plan, and thank you for including me. Oh, thank you for including us in that plan and that love that is bigger than we can ever know. Lord, now hear our silent and vocalized prayers, please.